Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rising Moon's Server Podcast, Episode 2. Joining me today, I have two awesome gentlemen, Knight and Wolf. They are members of Rising Moon's Discord community server. So join our Discord community today. The link is in the description below. And in today's episode, we'll be covering topics surrounding AMWF or Asian male, white female. The first question for you two is why join an AMWF or Asian male, white female group? So for me, I've been on dating apps for a while and they're okay, they serve a purpose, but at the same time, they're also relatively superficial interactions at the end of the day. And so communities like a Discord server allow you more opportunities to sort of connect with more people, make friends, have more meaningful discussions and get to know uh, other people. And then as for the AMWF part specifically, um, I think a lot of times Asian males in general still aren't quite yet at that top level of desirability as some other groups are. And so if you join a community like an AMWF server, you at least know that the other people you're talking to are receptive of your demographic, per se. So that was sort of like the motivation for joining like an AMWF server. Um, yeah, to touch on what Knight said, it's it's definitely better to be part of a community um, over you know just random dating apps. Uh, for me, I don't have a lot, a lot of Asian friends, so I kind of wanted to immerse myself with you know, like-minded peers and kind of do that thing while, like Knight said again, you know, um, meet women who are into the same kind of demographic. Um, you know, sometimes it's better to be a big fish in a small pond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell you that. <laughs> Why do you think it's not as desirable as it is versus other, like, types of groups? that's kind of hard to say because it ties back to a lot of like the historical injustices of portraying certain groups in different ways to you know minimize and marginalize them um so for asian men specifically i think there's just been a history of propaganda or whatever that sort of like makes us be seen as like this other group or like just not masculine traditionally or or undesirable for other aspects um and and that's sort of a thing that's sort of like carried through to the modern day. I think it's getting better for sure, but there's like literally decades, if not centuries, of of of, of history to sort of battle against. Yeah, I mean, I'll touch on just, I guess, American, Asian, right, community, and uh, my experiences being in the U.S. And I just think it's definitely, um, it's definitely a stereotype that Asians in general are more passive. Um, and the ideal American man is very assertive, aggressive, but also loud. And that's something that, you know, I feel like Asian culture isn't known for being loud. It, it doesn't matter if, you know, we're assertive or whatever, but, you know, we're um, <laughs> very respectful and, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that kind of shines a different light on the whole thing. Ultimately, I believe, you know, we have... Um, media representation um to kind of, i don't want to say blame but it is a result of what everyone sees you know growing up and stuff and you don't you don't see an asian man in a leading role uh, traditionally until you know today of course shang chi <laughs> marvel <laughs> disproves um doesn't disprove but like breaks my <laughs> sentence logic but in a good way in the best way 
Um, but yeah, I mean, before that, you don't really see a lot of that. So, you know, when, um, when, uh, girls and boys are, you know, fantasizing about their prince or princess charming, um, what, do, what do you think of, right? What has Disney kind of programmed you to think of? It's probably, uh, a, a, a white guy in shining armor, right? <laughs> Not a guy of any color, really. So, Yeah. Mm -hmm. or you could think about from mulan right <laughs> yeah shang yeah, yes, yes. he's like the, the one asian male in disney so far uh that has sort of broken broken the mold um from, well, from the beginning from the beginning yeah from the beginning yeah yeah, yeah. that is i gotta that is a, actually, i gotta do a cosplay of him that is actually <laughs> very the true mandolin. um has yeah. there has there been more or any more disney movies that have been like an Asian male uh, lead actor? Since Not besides. Okay, first of all, let's let, let's just put this out there. Yes, Mulan is great, but, you know, the lead is also an Asian female, which That's is true. kind of segregation in a way and not mixing, right? So while that's a great thing, I acknowledge that, it is still kind of enforcing the whole, like, you know, you only see Asian guys with Asian girls most of the time or whatever. I mean, besides that, I don't know. The only uh, guy of color from the Disney classics I can think of is Aladdin? Yeah. Question mark? Does that question, count? Question mark. Uh, does that count? <laughs> I mean, he's not Asian, I think it depends how you define Asian. Uh, some people say Middle Eastern or whatever. Some people say, you know, Asian also. a man of color. You know, that's that's yeah. all that <laughs> that matters sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting. Maybe maybe in the future we'll see it. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I, I think the fact that we have so much difficulty picking out examples of <laughs> yeah, Asian just... male romance leads is sort of like this is evidence. Indicative right of this the problem, is evidence right? enough. Yes, this is evidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then that also builds excitement every time there is a new one, like a Shang or like a Shang-Chi mm -hmm. or you know the guy from crazy rich asians or whatever there's like a lot of like excitement about it because it's so rare that it happens that we sort of rally behind i just i want us to get to a point where it's interchangeable and like you know we give yeah. these roles and these role models um to people that deserve the role that fit the character despite uh their race but i i, I really think that you know it's getting better now but it still has been a big thing in hollywood that um you play it safe you make the numbers and um, you know, putting a white lead is gonna sell more. So, you know, that's why that's why uh, a movie like Shang Chi is very, very important because if we can show the mainstream the numbers and say, hey, you know, um, Asian men are actually desirable, then we'll see that kind of flip on its head mm -hmm. and get better through time. There's, there seems to be a trend. Your name's got to be Shang. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna rename myself every, every Asian guy in America is gonna <laughs> legally change their name to Shane <laughs> regardless alright right. Um, kind of back on the topics uh, t tell me about your first dating experience with a white female I've actually only ever had one long term relationship and that uh, partner was Latina. So depending on how you classify white, either I've <laughs> I've actually had one or had none. Um, but I think uh, we met online um, 
you know, as one does nowadays. Uh, it wasn't one of the dating apps, it was just randomly on some other site. And then we just started talking. Uh, and then we were also long distance, actually, and then ultimately met up in person. Um, so I think, you know, again, with the Asian male desirability thing, if where you are, for example, like a certain demographic like yours isn't exactly desirable, like having access to the internet and allowing you to connect with other people in different parts of the country um, sort of opens up options and the possibilities uh, a lot, I feel. Nice. And how long were... Like, did you two end up dating for a longer period of time once you met? Right, yeah, that was for about four years total, um, two of which, the first two of which, were, uh, were long distance. How, how did you deal with the, the, the long distance aspect of your relationship before meeting up? Um, that part, it's been so long now that I don't quite remember all of it, to be honest, but it was just sort of keep in touch whenever possible, do some video calls, texts, and then whenever possible, you know, just, just meet up. Um, back then, I was still in college, so money wasn't exactly free-flowing. So that sometimes was a little bit difficult or having to work around, you know, school schedules and stuff like that. Um, but at the moment right now, actually, I am also in yet another long-distance relationship. It seems to be a trend for me. Uh, and so, but, you know, at this stage in life, you know, I have a job, I have like a stable income. And so that actually makes things much easier than it would have been before because now I have the the means to travel or uh, have her come out here or anything like that. So the the possibilities are just opened up a lot compared to back then. Yeah, that that is true. There's a lot more avenues. So you really don't have like an excuse nowadays, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, if you're if you're still in school, if funds are limited, if your schedule's wonky, like sure, I'm not going to judge you for anything like that, but you know, if you're if you're relatively stable and you have you know enough income to to travel relatively frequently, then I would say it, distance isn't quite as big of a barrier as it was for someone who's like an earlier stage of life potentially. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I like it. Well, um, I grew up partially in Arizona, which is very white. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the first thing that I was. Um, exposed to growing up going through puberty and all that um it wasn't so much something i thought about it was just something that happened you know <laughs> um but yeah my my first i guess serious girlfriend was was white that i think 15 16 um mm -hmm. it, it went pretty well <laughs> i mean i don't know it, it was just it didn't uh stick out as like a like special relationship in in the terms of or relation to like ethnicity or anything um it was just kind of a normal relationship um yeah did you end up meeting her parents at all or her family yeah i met her family they're all very welcoming they're very, very cool um although yeah i i have to say like going into it i think every asian american man can um can relate to the feeling of not so much of insecurity but uncertainty going into an interracial a relationship especially maybe especially maybe not with a white family and meeting the family um but i was welcomed with open arms uh, they didn't make me feel any different which was now that I think of it, now now that I'm older, actually pretty cool for an average uh, Arizona family. <laughs> you know, I think I definitely got lucky there. 
what kind of uncertainties were running through your mind? Well, I guess I wasn't really worried about uh, culture clash because um, I was uh, I was raised by a white stepmom, so I'm relatively whitewashed. I hate to say it, but it is like a fact and it's truth, you know. Um, but uh, uncertainty that I had, I guess, was just because. You know, I'm definitely not the majority and not what a father or grandparents would think to see. Uh, but again, you know, I went through with it. You know, I just did my thing. And I don't know, parent, parents seem to love, love me. So <laughs> no matter what. That's good, right? He's a bring home to mom and dad kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should write that on your profile. <laughs> I'm I'm a great guy to take home to mom and dad. LinkedIn endorse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Now it's official. Yeah. Uh, so when choosing a female partner, what do you find most appealing? We'll go with Wolf this time. Um, well, to me, there's a lot of different levels of relationship, right? Um but specifically partner, someone that I actually want to spend a lot of time with. Um, I, I look for definitely physical, sexual chemistry, um, but I wouldn't say above all, it's equal to um, personality and some amount of intelligence is pretty important to me. So what would you say is like the, the one thing that you would say stands out when approaching a female? when approaching so uh, i'm gonna be specific here this isn't just a glance right like you know you see pr plenty of sexy girls that you just glance at right but in in reality there's there isn't as many women that you think are worth approaching for your time for your nerves or whatever you know what i mean um and for that i'd have to say attitude how she carries herself um i do enjoy clubbing a lot so um being in tune with her body rhythm is something that definitely sticks out to me <laughs> um that kind of thing well good luck picking them because we all know rhythm with uh caucasian girls right <laughs> i don't know man I've, I've had pretty good luck i i haven't met a stereotype there <laughs> <laughs> Night's like shaking his head, man. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I think Wolf hit, you know, hit in a lot of ways. Like just the the top things in general, of course, are just like intelligence, um, the personality. And when I say personality, it's not even just oh, do you have like common interests or the same sense of humor or anything like that. There's something like I feel a little bit deeper if you're looking for someone to be like a very serious long term primary partner. It's just like you're too personalized in the way you interact with each other. It just meshes well. And like, when you know, you know. Um, and that thing is the hardest thing to suss out in any new type of relationship, whether you're approaching someone at the club, whether it's like on a dating app or, you know, on a Discord server, like that part is the hardest part to, to, to really get at. And that takes time and work and, and inv emotional investment for sure. Um, and, you know, hobbies and, and stuff like that in common are great, but even that, I would say, takes a backseat to, again, just the old, like deep down, like the personality compatibility. Chemistry. 
chemistry. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, that. It's it's the, all the, about chemistry. <laughs> it's the intangible yeah. quality, right? It's it's more yeah. art than science. A lot of, a lot of times, like sometimes you yeah. get into something, you don't realize what it is about the other person that right. sits well so well with you. You just sort of click and you know. Right. It, it's definitely like for me too. It's like a, a felt thing. Um, mm -hmm. my best relationships have come out of nowhere where I don't even realize what like magnetic chemistry we have until like you're you're pretty far along and it's like wow what <laughs> what happened here you know it's that classic thing where like when you're not looking for something it, it'll just like hit you out of nowhere and when you're actively looking for something there, there's a tip like, just stop looking <laughs> <laughs> yeah just exactly. stop looking and then you'll find it <laughs> There is a such thing as searching too hard, right? I would say so. I would say so. Uh, I, I, th I mean, I think so. I think there's such a thing as searching too hard. Um, there's a lot that's, you know, distinguishable in your body language, the way you go about things when you're, well, for lack of a better phrase, too thirsty. Um, <laughs> and a certain amount of thirstiness is natural, but another certain amount it is too much and usually unattractive so mm -hmm. what do you think is unattractive like what, for as like a guy standpoint what do you think is where do you draw the line of being too thirsty to where you're pretty much turning off the girl or the girl's turned off by you i mean i i feel like um overtly simping <laughs> um wait can we say that word being, now <laughs> um yeah i'm gonna say overtly being too sexual right at the front of things mm. uh i i believe that like you know women are very smart socially much more than men in general on average and i think it's pretty obvious that if you're a man approaching a woman everyone knows what the guy wants <laughs> right Everyone knows what the guy wants already. He doesn't have to say it. Once he says it, it stops being fun and it gets gross, probably, until it's the right time to say it. So now, don't get me wrong. You know, there's 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 a good point to be assertive and forward, but I think uh, there's a time and a place for sure. Uh, I agree with everything that Wolf said, and even barring the the super obvious, like coming out of the gate with like sexual topics or whatever, you know, out of nowhere, that's obviously not a good thing. But even if you don't do that, <laughs> if you just are too pushy about anything, right? It's like, mm -hmm. for example, you try to go out on a date and they say they're busy. Don't be the guy that's like, all right, how about now, now, now kind of a thing and just go too far. Like, like give the other person, you know, room to breathe and give the, the newly yeah. budding potential relationship time to breathe as well. And just sort of go with the flow a little bit. Yeah. I found in my short lifespan that a universal truth is that the right person for you, you don't have to try approach. You're, mm -hmm. you're going to be magnetized to each other. You're going to attract each other naturally. Um, so there's no reason to force things. Of course, you should be aggressive and forward at times, but forcing things is a different matter and usually unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Put in the effort, but... Be yourself, right? It's kind of cliche, but yeah, be yourself. Yeah. And then yeah, if yeah. somebody else like snatches you, like the, 
the puzzle pieces fit in together easily. Like you don't have to like really be work to, to get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, be your best self. Are you shy about bringing up some of your hobbies and interests? Um, I may have been at one point, but as I've sort of lived <laughs> life, I've gotten to the point where it's just sort of like, why be embarrassed about the things that you're into? So, for example, classically nerdy things, right? Like, you know, anime, gaming, like sci-fi fantasy stuff, like even D&D is like making a huge surge in pop culture nowadays, right? <laughs> so what yeah. was once the nerdy thing is now, you know, regular mainstream pop culture. If you look at even, you know, superheroes, like Marvel movies are now like a huge blockbuster phenomenon, right? So at the end of the day, no matter how even like niche your hobbies are, like just be open about it because at the end of the day, the person that you want to be with will be accepting of who you are, the things that you're into. And even if they're not, you know, in that same hobby as you, they will at least take an interest or be accepting that you are into those things. So there's no reason to be shy, at least in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Wolf? Are you are you shy about your hobbies and interests? Or at at some point, have you? Um, no, I don't think I've ever really been shy about my hobbies and interests. Um, I learned early on that showing people and showing women that I'm interested in what I'm passionate about is usually points in my favor because you're showing passion and um you know deep involvement and um like just being present in in something and something that you're in or just being able to talk endlessly about you know i don't know star wars even shows some kind of passion that you're passionate about something so i've never really been um shy about that myself i do like knight's a point of view that you brought up that now nowadays a lot of things are more mainstream I think it was just before my day. Um, I mean, when I was getting going, like uh, being nerdy was already relatively cool Mm -hmm. thing or neutral thing at most. Um, So I never got backlash on that. Like, I'm also, I also can be like a jokester, and it's always like funny to say, "Oh, I'm such a nerd," and like you know, people like jump on that that aren't really nerdy, but it's just a point of something to talk about at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. For sure, I also feel like nowadays there's more of a cultural sentiment of like "come as you are," right? So there's like mm-hmm. obviously the huge body positivity movement kind of a thing, and I feel like some of that bleeds over into the non-physical elements too. Just like yeah. whatever your passion, whatever your hobbies are, you know, as Wolf was saying, like "come as you are." You know, be yeah, be your authentic yeah. self, be your best self, and then people who share in those interests will sort of be naturally drawn to you. Or yep. you know, the people who give you flack for a certain hobby, those aren't the type of people that you want to be with in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you did bring it up to where oftentimes people will compare themselves a lot to like other people. Mm-hmm. Don't keep trying to find different ways to compare yourself to better yourself. Again, like I agree with you guys, the best version of yourself is to be better mm-hmm. than yourself. So, my next question is: Are you exclusively into white females, or is it just a preference? Um, I'm not exclusively into white females. Um, I, I would say it's even like barely a preference. <laughs> um, yeah, I've dated a lot of ethnicities, and it, it's never really been about that. 
Um, but what I will say is, at least sexually, I'm attracted to skin contrast. So I tend to go for girls that are a lot or somewhat paler than me. Um, so yeah, that is that is something the main draw there. Uh, and yeah, and for me, also not a preference. Uh, I would say I, you know, ethnicity like doesn't play a factor to me at all. Uh, to be honest, when like they're attracting someone, you 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 feel attraction or you don't. There's chemistry there or, or it isn't. Um, but I think overall, the reason I actually end up going on dates with or connecting with you know Caucasian women more than other groups is because sort of what Wolf was hinting at. Also for me, at least. Like I'm, I'm Polly, and also I also into kink. And so, if you look at the demographic as a whole, it just happens to be the case that it's generally Caucasian women who are more open-minded about things like that and a little bit more progressive. Um, so I get I get a lot of matches on dating apps with, you know, traditional Asian girls, and that's totally fine too. But that's not exactly my type or what I'm looking for. And just by by happenstance or whatever, it just so happens that you know Caucasian women tend to be more into those things or open to those things. Uh, jumping on that a little bit, yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, I definitely think that I end up being with mostly white girls because of just the openness with kink. And again, as as poly, an alternative lifestyle, um, that's just what's there most of the time, you know. So yeah, what do you think that Asian females? It's harder for you to approach about. Uh, kink and sexual, uh, you know, like topics versus with a a white female. That's a good question because I don't know if there's like a specific thing, and it might be on me that I feel this way. But I think just traditional Asian upbringing, right? You're not you're not really talking about sex, sex positivity, openness, and stuff like that, and so you're just sort of conditioned to keep those things to yourself with that specific group, I guess. And I feel like, you know, if Asian American women or Asian women in general had a similar upbringing to me, they likely <laughs> probably wouldn't be as open to discussing these things. Um, but then again, here, here we are, uh, you know, open to these things. So maybe that's a wrong perception to have. Maybe I just need to be a little bit more open and forward about it as well and sort of start the conversation. I don't know. I've, I've dated one Asian girl long-term. Um, but most of the time, I've never been really attracted to Asian girls. I don't have a lot of experience. Uh, my most of my experience with Asian women is just a large disconnect for some reason. Besides attraction, it's just I don't know. There's a disconnect there, um, and maybe that's because of my upbringing being very eclectic and being a little whitewashed. I can't necessarily relate to the traditionalism um but yeah i don't know i don't know yeah i think you bring up the, the whitewash thing which is interesting because i've been called banana or twinkie plenty of times in my life actually so yell on the outside one on the inside and stuff like that <laughs> and you know it's interesting seeing like which group of friends that i'm with so with one group of friends i may be too white but was a different group of friends. I may be too Asian, so it's like this weird oh, spectrum of like you never uh, quite know where you are, kind of. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, with whatever Asian friends and acquaintances I have, I feel not quite Asian enough. And then sometimes it's rare. I'd like to think 
that I choose to be in good circles and, you know, have good people around me. And sometimes it, being the only Asian guy in a group, it feels like there's a little disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, and I don't know why this is, maybe it's just me, but uh, living in California, I definitely get a, along with a lot of Latinos, Latinos. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, in my experience, having dated a, a Latina or two, um, it's actually, I've noticed a lot of similarity in terms of culture of, you know, Hispanic yeah. Latin families and, you know, Asian families and stuff like that. I think there's like a value yeah. on, you know, family, you know, the value sort of, of like family up front. Yeah. 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 And a lot of times we're also both, you know, first generation immigrants or first generation Americans, right? Where, you know, your, mm-hmm. your parents or your grandparents mm-hmm. immigrated here. And then you were born here mm-hmm. or even irrigated here as well. And so there's a lot of shared experience there uh, on top of the other yeah. things. Yeah, I definitely think so. There's a lot of commonality there. You think that also plays in like the dating scene as far as maybe like a girl that wants to approach you or you want to approach a girl? Because, you know, let's say you're in a group with friends that aren't Asian ethnicity, right? Or there's that group that you're hanging out with that is all just Asian. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. Um, just for me personally, most of my friend groups are Asian, so I, I can't speak from personal experience, I, I'd say. But I have heard anecdotally from some women that their perception of Asian men is that we mostly hang out amongst ourselves. Like, we, we really only date other, like Asian women and stuff like that, so they're sort of discouraged by that. Um, but at the same time, I feel like that's just sort of by chance, right? You, you you form friends with the people who are close to you and have shared experiences, and if that happens to be other Asians, then that's sort of just what happens, right? Um, and on the flip side of that, actually, anytime I see like a non-Asian female hanging out with a predominantly Asian group, that to me says, oh, she's cool with Asian people. Maybe she's more down with the Asian guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just sort of like who you hang out with sort of reflects on you in, in a way. So I can totally understand um, you know, women who might be discouraged by Asian dudes who mostly hang out with other Asians. Yeah. I think for me, having run in some group of Asian guys and mixed groups, um, I do see a tendency when it's a group of just Asian guys that I wouldn't say it's harder, but there it, there's a different atmosphere. I <laughs> think that when you're out and about, um, regardless if a girl's interested or not, a group of Asian guys kind of like signify this era of like, and also the stereotype of, you know, probably the Asian guys only want Asian girls that disqualifier. And, um, and this is true for any ethnicity, a big group of one type of ethnicity just makes them seem even more that ethnicity. You know what I mean? Like if you see a group of Asian guys, you see a group of Asian guys. If you see a group of mixed guys, you see a group of not mixed guys. That doesn't come to your head. You you, you forget the race now because it's mixed. You just see a group of guys. So in my experience running with uh, a mixed group, it's a lot more um, a lot more of an open atmosphere. I, I I do think it's just easier. I don't know. I think that the Asian click stereotype is very prevalent. So even if a girl is interested or not, or other people are interested in hanging out, it really kind of closes that in, you know, um, in my experience, at least. Because there are times when, when I, I have personally experienced 
you know, there's like a couple that's come that comes on by and is like, oh my gosh, your group is so diverse. (laughs) (laughs) That's racist. (laughs) (laughs) It has happened. I'm kidding. (laughs) They're like, they're like, there's two, there's like three Mexicans here. You got an Asian dude. There's like three white people, and you got the token black dude. And I was like, "What is oh, going on?" Okay. <laughs> I was like, "What is going on?" It's too funny. You want your friend group to look like that classic liberal <laughs> college brochure, right? Just a little bit of everybody. Mixed <laughs> I'm usually the token Asian guy in the group, so mm. yeah. They're like there can be only one Asian in this group. <laughs> in a mixed group. Two Asian yeah, fight to the it, death it's in, two, in the ring. To get the <laughs> yeah. Have you guys watched um, Master of None with Aziz? I'm no. sorry. Ooh, I have not. Um, it's a it's a really good show. There's a episode where so Aziz plays an actor. He basically plays himself in this show, but it's not a biography or anything. And there's an episode where him he he, he tries out for a role and he and they're very interested and they want him. And then his, um, I don't think it's his cousin, it's just his friend, maybe, it, who's also Indian, goes for the role, and they really like him. And it's like kind of like a Friends-type show, right? And, and the producers of the show can't decide, and they, um, they discover, like, um, they get accidentally forwarded or CC'd in an email chain. Like, yeah, we love both of these guys, and they're perfect for, like, the three-part, three-piece cast, main cast, but we can't have two of them. Because then then it's an Indian show. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, I feel like that's very much a thing still. Um, African Americans and Latinos have already, like, kind of gotten in there a little bit where you can have two or three. But I don't know if Asians, and, and yeah, Indians too, which I don't know if we're considering Asian in this instance, even though they're from Asia. But I believe it, you know, still kind of applies to us. Like, oh, there's two Asians. Is this an Asian show? <laughs> yeah. What has worked for either of you in approaching or being in a relationship with a white female? So I'm probably the wrong person to ask this, but because I don't really approach women in public for a variety of reasons. But the main one, for example, is like, I know a lot of guys do the cold approach. So like, oh, you got a coffee shop, you're at the grocery store, whatever. Just walk up to someone and start talking to them. And for me, I have this aversion to do that because anecdotally, again, I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, women just being made uncomfortable and like you're, you're at the coffee shop to get coffee. You're not there to meet the people or the gym or whatever, you know. So for me, my thinking is like I would rather miss out on an opportunity like that than, you know, put someone in a weird, awkward position. Now, if you change the context of that, like say you're at a party or like a meetup or something where the expectation is to meet someone new, then at that point, I'm just like meeting any other group, just sort of in yourself into a conversation just make small talk with people, sort of get to know people um, like you would in any other sort of situation like that. And so I wouldn't say there's anything specific about approaching, you know, white women over any other type of woman or, or group, really. Well, just like Knight said, I'm not really big on the cold approach thing. Um, I sincerely believe that um through self-improvement and just kind of being your best self every day, you kind of magnetize certain people into your life. And then touching on something else he said is, yeah, I think um, overall being social is a much better approach than a approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think a classic example is if you're at a club or at a park, whatever, 
pick a, pick whatever landscape location. Um, and there's a group of three people, and one of them is the girl you're interested in, and the other two are I don't know, mixed female, male, whatever. It's it's inherently weird, right, to approach just the person you're interested in, right? Um, it's not weird per se, but it's definitely seen as very aggressive and can turn off the rest of the group. The rest of the group that could say, oh, don't we have to go and pull her out of that situation real quick? Um, in my experience, it's always best to genuinely actually want to socialize and, you know, kind of, instead of attacking head on, like, talk talk to everyone, you know, socialize. But the caveat on that is that I've seen guys do the same thing and approach a group like that um, with that exact intent, and it's very transparent. You can almost taste and smell it that this guy is just going around the group until he gets to his target. <laughs> right? So, for me, I feel like the the best thing to be in to do is just to be genuine and actually, you know, get to know these people, socialize. And, you know, going back to um, being on, like, this this server, instead of attacking individual women and like you know whatever you kind of you integrate into the community you know you see what everyone has to say you introduce yourself and you get to know people and naturally um the right people the right girl will be attracted to you mm -hmm. i think that sort of ties back into what we were talking about earlier about you know some guys who are like too thirsty or something or right yeah like that move of approaching like just one specific person in their group to try to like hit on them like that that crosses that line whereas like if you try to yeah. engage the group yeah. as a whole and like you're saying socialize and make friends yeah. that that is a huge difference between the two yeah don't get me wrong like there is a time to be aggressive and assertive um but for first contact first initial contact that's likely probably not going to be the best move that you want to do <laughs> So, yeah, uh, I, yeah. First impressions are everything, you know. Yeah. So your first impression is come off as like super cocky, you know. It's that's <laughs> gonna. Be... But not cocky, funny. <laughs> just, yeah. just cocky and ego filled. Like you can be cocky mm -hmm. and then you know, uh, self deprecating and hilarious, which is kind yeah. of my thing. But <laughs> you know, you can also just be cocky and you know. Not a lot of people like that, obviously. Like makes them uncomfortable, whatever. I think there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. It's a fine line yeah. sometimes, but there is a major difference. Like be confident, don't be arrogant. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And don't try to confuse the two together, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, I'm trying to be confident, but also arrogant. You know, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how that works, <laughs> it, but it, it is the fine line and I I think it's you know hard to learn what that line is. Um mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I've, of course, made that mistake crossing a line in the past. And, like, you know, I've been, I've, I've seen the consequences of it. Um, but I think it is important to find out that line. For so sure, for, for, so for, for those um, males out there that aren't experienced like that, as far as determining that fine line, what, what, would, what would you, either of you, suggest on gaining that experience or what to do about it hmm. i'll go first um i think uh assuming this inexperienced guy that probably overthinks a lot of things especially with approaching women i think the most important thing is to 
learn how to socialize. Social intelligence is its own type of an intelligence. It's a muscle that's built over time. I'm not, when I was a lot younger, I was a lot more anxious and I still have social anxiety and stuff like that. But I work tooth and nail to kind of, um, not necessarily get over it, but just improve, right? Improve. So I think the best thing to do is just integrate yourself in new groups, new groups. Again, we'll, we'll tie it back to the server again, new groups like this and make random friends and learn how to be comfortable with strangers and how to communicate. Because at the end of the, the day, that line of uh, confidence and uh, would you say arrogance, that line is established with anybody, romantic, sexual or not, right? Like for me to Wiggles and me to Knight, like there's a line right there where if I cross it, he's going to say, oh, this guy is just a fucking arrogant, egocentric fool. <laughs> or I'm like, oh, this guy's just confident. And, you know, um, and I think it's definitely important to establish that with all genders. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that Wolf is saying. But, you know, the best way to gain experience is just to go out there and do it. Right. I know meeting people, you know, in real life is hard sometimes. It, it really is, um, particularly during a pandemic. But, yeah. you know, just pursue your interest and your passions. Right. If you're into art, go take an art class. If you're, you know, trying to work out more, take a dance class or a martial arts class, something that suits your passions and then interact with people in a natural way like that. Um, like for me, I also was pretty, you know, socially anxious for a long time. But, you know, recently it's about a shift in mindset, too. Right. It's like, OK, I've been this shy, timid guy for so long, it's gotten me here. Well, what have I not been doing? Let me try that instead. So just like really forcing yourself to get out of your comfort zone a little tired bit. Of it. You get tired of it. It's like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, now. exactly. Um, and then you sort of get out there and then you talk to more people, you make friends, you learn how to socialize. Um, and again, yeah. to Will's point, like that line of confident and arrogant is gonna be different for everyone. So you have to sort of mm -hmm. like pick up on the cues and learn a little bit about the person that you're talking to and yeah. sort of, you know, calibrate a little bit there. I'm not saying like change who you are as a person completely, but just know know your audience, so to speak. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a large fallacy is that, you know, a lot of people identify as being introverts. So I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. um, and they see it as impossible or such like a monumental task to socialize. When in reality, it's a skill. It's a skill like cutting fruit. Um I don't know, playing football. It's a skill like anything else. It's a skill that, you know, should be exercised to an extent because ultimately humans are social creatures. As much as I hate it, as much as I just want to live in a cabin in the woods with a little, you know, husky and be left alone, the fact is, is that I need people too at, at a certain point. Um, so it's definitely above anything to learn how to socialize, learn how to be with your fellow human being without overthinking the most random stuff and just be comfortable. And through that, through that, you'll attract or be ready for whatever uh, woman you're going for, you know, because you, you've gotten to practice now. It doesn't matter. It's another person. It's not a, it's not a girl. It's a human, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of online, you know, you talk about the Discord server. Is there anyone that you guys are talking to on the server so essentially it has worked for you yeah i, I would say so um <laughs> i mean i recently found my partner within the past couple of weeks through the server so it works <laughs> the system works <laughs> and um well I, I think you like you met your partner also uh not this through one. this server on a different similar server mm. um yes uh and she's i mean we've been seeing each other 
from i guess seeing each other right because it's been long distance <laughs> she's in the east coast but yeah um since the beginning of the year and i'm happy to say she's like officially moving in in december so congratulations the system works. Congrats that, man. <laughs> <laughs> the system works <laughs> would it be really different versus like online that you're socializing on discord or like on chatting service uh speaking for myself at least I, I mean, probably old-fashioned. I prefer face-to-face -face interactions over messaging. So it is hard to be sure because, like, if you were on a dating app even, right, and somebody's in your area, you chat a bit, and then you go out and meet for coffee or drinks or something, and it's, like, an easy, easy thing to do. Whereas for these long-distance situations, it's a lot more messaging up front to begin with, and then at best you can do a video call or a phone call or something like that, and then there's, like, a longer wait before you can even meet in person. So... Having patience and determination in, in this type of a format is really, really crucial. Like, you're not going to talk to someone and then meet them the next day. It's just not going to happen realistically. Mm -hmm. So you have to be prepared to, to tough it out a little bit, to be honest. Um, but it, it is worth it. It can be worth it. Unless you're on old school Craigslist personals, right? Like, you, know, <laughs> you might randomly meet someone. I don't think they're like... I don't, wait, I don't think that those... Those are up anymore. It's just what like the, misconnections now. It's misconnections, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which are always a fun read. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. Touching on that, uh, I believe yeah, physical interaction is always the best when meeting people through coworkers, through your social social uh, groups, whatever. Um, it's just because. Well, besides the convenience factor of literally that person living in the same city as you, uh, guaranteed pretty much, right? Um, it's also because a lot of communication, in my experience, is, you know, nonverbal, right? Mm -hmm. um, chemistry can be felt over video, over text, for sure. But there, no matter how sure you are, there's always going to be a little part of you that's going to be like... Not that, oh, is this person a catfish, but, you know, is there really chemistry there or is it just like an internet thing, you know? Um, with that being said, of course, um, my, my present and future nesting partner I did meet online, um, there is a benefit from meeting people online. And that benefit is that you can really niche down into your interests like this is primarily more of a amwf community and you have a better chance of running into someone that you really connect with right automatically the the issue being that you know maybe they're halfway across the country or the world but you are obviously more likely to meet someone that you connect with on a better or different level so I don't know. It's it depends. It depends. There's pros and cons, you know. Now, since you two are both currently and also experienced with long distance relationship online, what are some like challenges you faced, and what do you think are really important factors for dealing with long distance relationships in the very beginning? For people that are maybe inexperienced or maybe about to get into a long distance relationship. Sometimes when you meet someone new that's local to you, you sort of text on and off here and there, you know, you touch base every few days or something like that. And, you know, that might be the case 
for some people online as well. But I feel like if you are really feeling that connection and you're trying to pursue something, I think being intentional about trying to maintain contact on a more regular basis is important because you don't have that convenience of meeting up in person and feeling that in-person chemistry. So you have to put a little bit more effort to maintaining the relationship um, when it, when there is distance like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is also the other thing too of like, like we were talking before about the financial component, right? If you live very far apart, somebody has to be able to have the means to do the travel to meet up in person, which is different from, oh, if you live on the other coast, uh, on the other side of the city, you're an Uber or a bus ride or a train ride away, you know? So it, yeah. that's not, there's another thing to consider there as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think overall, just, you know, it takes a lot of patience. Um, as much as we want to romanticize everything, um, Knight's very correct. Uh, your financial situation comes into play heavy, right? Because ultimately, you know, when you meet someone online, at least for me, um, the goal is to meet up with them at some point, and someone has to afford that. Um, it's tragic when, like, I don't know, two fresh out of high school 18-year-olds meet and connect online because, you know, they probably both still live with their parents, and no matter how deeply connected they are, they don't have the financial means to follow through, and that, that fizzles, maybe. Or maybe not, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's more likely to fizzle because of that. Um, besides that, it's like, you know, being in a long-distance relationship is uh, what it is difficult to meet each other's um, needs, especially if you're more uh, physical touch focus as a primary love language or whatever. It's hard to fill that gap, um, and the only thing you can do, like nights out again, is just to be dedicated and have intent to you know make time for the other person and um be there um for example right uh the person i'm seeing is still on the other end of the country Uh, she's not here yet and we're almost always throughout the day like texting a little bit sharing little things uh whatever Uh, um and for me traditionally that's actually not really my thing i love to leave my phone alone and untouched as much as possible because i like to be present um so but obviously like i adjust and i do want to talk to her so i i have to especially with the time difference and stuff like you know you make compromises and compromises are uh are are worth it but it's just little things like that that you have to see um ultimately hopefully uh someone's able to move or both <laughs> move together or find an ideal situation for that when do you think is a a really good point to meet up how long is too long when in a long distance relationship to not like see each other do you mean like just meeting up at all or do you mean like moving to the same city or even i would say like both so the first step is meeting up and all and then the next step would be moving into the same home together well it's when you're both comfortable of course that could be any amount of time um yeah it's just when you're really comfortable for me like i like to encourage some neutrality as in like I well, 
the person I'm seeing now. We we broke a lot of rules and things that I w- traditionally would go against, but you know, we felt the deep connection, so we just rolled with it. But like, if I'm visiting someone else, I would want to get my own Airbnb for the first time and not impose, right? Because um, it would suck to be staying at her place and we don't get along. We have no chemistry at all. We hate each other. And now I'm like, oh, do I have to find a hotel or whatever? Like logistics like that. Um, same on the other side. If someone's visiting me, I would really encourage just to really help foster the feeling of safety um, that they get their own Airbnb that I actually have no control over. It. I'm not paying for it. It's, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to kick them out, do any weird crap. This is theirs. Worst case scenario, they have a nice California vacation, you know, <laughs> without me. Um, but yeah, I really think it's just about comfort level and security. Um, and, you know, as, as a man, I think that's you know, a lot of my responsibility to provide. So I don't know. I don't, I don't like rushing people. I like to go with the flow and move like water. You know, things will happen when they happen you should push in the right direction and you know row in the right direction but at the end of the day like you don't really have control of the current <laughs> i like the bruce lee reference <laughs> 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 i don't know if any of y'all got it but <laughs> slid that in, yeah. like <laughs> slid that in. Yeah. like water <laughs> um so first off i think i agree with wolf's uh, assessment and recommendation there is you know for the first meetup if particularly you're very very far away from each other Get get the Airbnb in the hotel or whatever, just so there's an extra safety level. Um, me and my partner broke that rule completely too, but don't do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> kind of a situation. It, it really is probably better to do it the other way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in terms of timeline overall, um, again, I think it's partly my general preference for face to face interaction. Where obviously, of course, whenever both parties are comfortable. But assuming that for me, I prefer. Hey, as soon as reasonably possible, you know. So don't like drop everything you have right now just to meet up. But like, whenever it makes sense to, like, for example, if somebody is going through a weird patch at work, or they need to wrap up a semester at school, or something like that, wait for a logical point before suggesting um, a meetup like that. And then for the other piece where it's about moving in together, that's really dependent on you know how serious the relationship is. If you've had that discussion um, again, if somebody else is hey, wrapping up their, their undergrad or their master's or something, they can't really move. That's like, you know, be reasonable about expectations and stuff like that. And it will vary relationship to relationship. Yeah. I do think um, overall for most long distance relationships, it depends on what kind of relationship you have. But I think most people can agree that um, the end goal of a long distance relationship is to make it a not long distance relationship. <laughs> I would hope so. Um, so... I mean, for me, like I, 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 when I feel something for someone, I feel hard, um, and it's hard to wait. But ultimately, like, you know, it, it, it's really up to both both parties to decide. But you know, hopefully, you can come to some kind of agreement or compromise before anyone feels the pain and struggles of that long distance relationship. <laughs> sure. What's your vision? of an ideal first date for me as i get to know myself better i realize that i like to um i like to like curate create experiences for people especially obviously the person i care about um 
now this is this is different than my long distance approach because the long distance approach is very oh my god i've never i haven't seen you in forever so let's just <laughs> hang out <laughs> um but ideal first date in a traditional sense i really like to get um a good vibe with the other person if if i've got into know them well enough otherwise it's probably just a coffee date i think there's just you know no strings attached no pressure um and coffee would plans to go i think if i invite a girl out for coffee i probably have two to three other places that i'm ready to take her to where like activities parks things to see etc um but of course i gauge the chemistry and if it's not working out then she probably just goes home with a coffee date <laughs> <laughs> all right Nice, nice. What about you, Knight? Uh, yeah, I'd agree with all, all of that, to be honest. Um, I would say I'm not quite the same about the curating experiences thing. Uh, for me, particularly if this is talking about trying to find like a primary partner to date for like a long-term relationship, Like for me, at the end of the day, it's about connecting with the person and learning about them and them learning about you, which is why I so value just conversations, right? So we don't have to be doing anything crazy. It's just... The simple coffee or drink date where you can spend a lot of time just talking, getting to know each other and connecting at that deeper level and being open and stuff like that. And the benefit of that coffee date and that drink date, like like Will said, is it's the low commitment thing. So it's not working out. You just have the drink or the coffee and then you can go home. Uh, things are going well. You can continue on. Just make a night or a day out of it and see where things go from there. But yeah, at the end of the day for me, just connection and talking is the biggest thing that I look for in the first date. Yeah. I will say, like, based off of that, my my lowest tier first dates. I'm ta- I'm just talking first dates are probably going to be uh, movie dates, which are completely useless. Because, like he said, mm. like, you know, the first contact is you're establishing that connection. You're establishing who you are as a person, and you mm-hmm. can't do that when you're locked in a seat watching a movie. You know, that could be a part of the evening, but in my opinion, it's time wasted getting to know this really fresh person, you know, this this mm-hmm. new person in your life. And besides that, um, and, you know, I think maybe a lot of people will disagree with me on this, but uh, a dinner date is definitely not my preference. It's it's boring, expected. Um, you know, as, as an Asian guy, right? Uh, not especially, but as an Asian guy, I think that where i've succeeded the most is surprising and breaking the norm and breaking um stereotypes and i think the dinner first date is very much a stereotype so that's something i avoid just because it's stuffy and you know you're sitting down for what let's let's say a hundred dollar meal you know depending on where you are and you automatically have that commitment on you and on the girl and if she's not feeling you she's like well damn if he pays for it, is he going to get creepy, weird, aggressive, <laughs> stocky? Um, or do we split it? And, you know, it's it's just a whole nother thing. That is something I do want to bring up, too, is should men pay for the first date? Uh, this is, I feel like this is such a contentious topic. I've talked with so many people. <laughs> Everybody feels super strongly about their own way. I, I think the fact of the matter is in you know, this modern American society, it's still, for a lot of people, the expectation that the guy pays for things. 
Um, and I would say for uh-huh. like a first like coffee or drink date, like, cool, that's totally cool. Like, I'll just go ahead and do that. Um, but that said, I actually really, really appreciate it when the date says, no, let's split it or I can get this kind of a thing, right? Because music at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to feel like someone views me as just like a free drink or a free meal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if that expectation is too strong or too upfront, then it's sort of like, all right, or, like, what are you here for? Kind of, you yeah. know? Um, and then, you know, ultimately getting into like a more long-term relationship, you know, there are all these other variables about like, oh, who might have a higher income and have a bit more disposable income? Like that aside, I think switching off or splitting stuff is the ideal in case for me. Because at the end of the day, for me, I want a partner, not someone that I have to like, you know, you know, <laughs> like pay to basically spend time with, if that, if that makes sense. Like a sugar daddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like- yeah uh i think for me it depends on the type of relationship if it's short-term casual i have no problem with just paying for it in fact i i just do just because it makes things easier um but for something more long-term if i'm actually you know into somebody um i definitely wait for the offer or bring up the offer to split because a split like knight was saying and i and i let them carry like for the first date at least like go through with the split because um you know people aren't stupid they know that you can just say oh i got it and do the wallet out move even though they had zero intention to pay i actually want to see follow through in a partner i want to see that you know she is perfectly content to pay for her, or her own meal because at the end of the day, it's not about the meal. It's about spending time with me and being in my presence and vice versa. So, yeah, I, um, I'm big on the split. And, you know, that's, I think that's, uh, you know, if you're really f- feminist and you want equality, you should be down with the split. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, but shots that fired. Doesn't, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that I don't want to pamper and spoil someone, but, like, I'm not going to do that with a stranger. You have to earn mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? You have to show me that you're a person that's worth it and that I want to spend time with, and then we'll do the thing and go back and forth. And then, yeah, if it's a very long-term relationship, then overall, the split is going to be the best option because, you know, this ain't the 1950s. It's it's right. 2021, and, you know, it's very rare that one person can bring home all of the bacon. <laughs> yeah, you got to bring at least half the pack or something. Something. <laughs> yeah, I think to add on to that too, it's like if I want to sort of treat someone to something and pay for it, like that's one thing. But I don't want it to be like an expectation that I have to be doing this every time in order for the relationship to work. Like that's not what yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah, it's a treat. It should be for yeah, anything. Exactly. Like what, what? Like when you take your buddies out for uh, for a round of beers or whatever, you know? Like you don't expect <laughs> someone to, and it, it's just. Uh, like I get it, the ro- romantic relationships are different, but at the end of the day, like no one wants to feel taken advantage of. You know, mm-hmm. people want to feel relatively equalized, and I think that's a simple way to do that. Mm-hmm. So, how would you dre- how would you or both of you uh, dress up for your first date? I have a very limited wardrobe, so what you see me wearing now is <laughs> <laughs> probably gonna be it. 
just like a, a monochrome tee, some <laughs> jeans, or some some slack, and that's kind of it. There you go. Also, Simple. because again, for first dates, because for first dates, coffee and drink date, like depending on where you're going for your drinks or whatever, be another thing. But like for the most part, it's pretty chill and casual, so it doesn't have to be the whole dress the nice yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, for me, I dress up a little bit. I I do enjoy fashion and stuff, but uh, I run very hot and I overheat very easily. <laughs> so my primary concern is to make sure that I'm comfortable. You know, I don't want to be hot and sweating when I'm first like meeting somebody. You know, I'm probably gonna get like that on my own without like my clothes <laughs> weighing me down. So I like to uh, definitely dress for the weather, but um, elevate it a little bit. You know, sometimes putting a, a a nicer pair of boots or something like that. It's um, I think, like you said earlier, it's uh, it's first impressions, and it does ma- it does matter, uh, of course, like what kind of date you're going on. If it's a coffee date, there is being overdressed for it, um, but it is possible for any type of scenario to kind of elevate how you look. Now, I'm not saying to force anything. I'm just saying, you know, look your best. Put in a little effort. That's what I try to do, you know? You don't need to be uh, pull- pulling up on a, you know, a full suit, right? No, <laughs> like, no. <laughs> not, not, not at all. But, you know, you can, you can make sure you're at least properly groomed. Um, mm. You actually took a fresh shower. Um, you actually brushed and flossed your teeth, you know? Um, I'm a fan of cologne. Uh, maybe other people aren't but like for me i like to do a little dab of cologne regardless of like where i'm going um but yeah i think anyhow too is like where so the comfort thing but also like where what makes you feel confident and good about yourself because that will carry through right to the interaction on the date as well like you'll still see me running around a lot with like i said you know nice boots nice jeans well-fitted jeans oh maybe some accessories or whatever uh very polished but then i'm just wearing a tank you know why because i'm hot and i don't i don't care the tank looks good it's a good look for me whatever (laughs) it's at the end of the day like you know be like be yourself and that's me i i want to be comfortable now how many days do you think you would go on until making it official or is, there, or is there also, like, a such thing as too many dates? What do you mean by making it official? Like, being, like, exclusive. Uh, <laughs> well, from a poly person, <laughs> that doesn't really apply for us. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I mean, you know, turning it into a committed relationship. Yeah, right? a committed even relationship. Poly, yeah. yeah, you still yeah. gotta have something committed, right? Right, right. Um, I would say there's no set number, really. It's, like, whatever feels right to you and your partner. Like, for some people, it could literally be, like, two, three dates in, even the first date, potentially, you know, depending on how the chemistry goes. For other people, it takes a little bit longer to sort of really get at that deeper level connection, which I was talking about before, which is, you know, that, that's the important part. Like, how do you connect on your deepest fundamental levels as people and your personalities? And so I'd say whenever that is uncovered, two dates, three dates, ten dates, whatever, that's, that's when you can make that decision whenever you and your partner are comfortable. Just go with the flow. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Flow like water. I I agree. I've never been 
I don't know. It's kind of cheesy to me. Like, you know, you go on a couple dates and you're like, will you be my girlfriend? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how to start that conversation. I don't really do that. It's just, and not intentionally even, just because it's what I want to do. I make it abundantly clear that I want this person in my life more, you know? So we, some things like some types of meetups or whatever just become like second nature. Um, for me, where things get clearly defined is if the relationship moves to a next step. So um, moving in is obviously a milestone. Um, and I, I guess like the expectation of seeing each other. If if it's if you're seeing someone more than twice, I would say a week, it's pretty clear that you know you're a thing. But again, like Knight said, uh, as a poly person, um, it can get a little blurry. Some blurred lines there. <laughs> now, have you? What kind of like challenges have you faced as, uh, like culture wise? Uh, I'll go first because it's easy for me. But like, I really have not run into any sort of clash issues with partners. Thankfully, um, maybe I can chalk it up to being you know in an area that is more diverse and people are sort of more understanding and accepting of these things. But yeah, I count my blessing and say that I haven't really run into many issues like that. Thankfully. Uh, not that I can think of. No, no major issues. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe we're lucky. I don't <laughs> picking the right ones, then, right? <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so, besides that, have you experienced any prejudice? It could be partner or not partner. And if so, how how have you coped with it? With it? Mm, again, the, owing to the fact that I live in a pretty diverse sort of metropolitan area, um, have not think, have not experienced many instances of racism or bigotry. Um, at most, it's like a really like throwaway comment, and I'll, I'll like just let it wash off because I'm not gonna get bothered by something random like that. Um, and then, in terms of relationship wise, I've actually experienced the opposite, which is like support from people. So I remember with my at the time girlfriend, we were just out and about. Like just some sweet old white lady was walking up to us and said, "Oh, you two are so cute together." And I'm just like, "All right, that's great. Just validation, <laughs> you know. Like, um, people see this as a positive light and a positive turn, and so mm -hmm. I just sort of accepted it, internalized it, and so sort of, you know, made made my day in a small part at least, and that was kind of nice. I think for for me, well, what comes to mind right now is actually. Uh, a little like memory I have uh, from high school. This this Asian girl was very prejudiced against Asian guys. Uh, she she openly said that she wished uh, more Asian guys. Not she wished. She verbatim said like more Asian guys should be like white guys. And you know that's um, I think that's a big thing that a lot of Asian American men can relate to. Um, I feel like there's definitely a disconnect um, with, at least for me, with Asian women. I don't, I'm not saying that all Asian women are like that, but um, I think definitely more than I'd like, or that that <laughs> should be. Um, and it's it's just culture. It's culture, you know. Um, it's I think as the model minority in the United States, it's it's confusing for either gender to be 
Asian, you know, <laughs> at times, at times, at least at times, you know. So how has it, how has it gone with like your respective families, you know, like as far as, you know, parents, relatives, siblings, if you have siblings. Right. I think it was a, it was a bit of a surprise at first for my parents, uh, you know, traditional Chinese family is sort of like, oh, you're going to date and marry, you know, a, an Asian, if not Chinese girl. Right. And <laughs> even during the relationship or that relationship at the time, at one point, it was like a heated argument that was completely unrelated to something else. My mom throws out the line, all right, you can date her for now, but you better marry a Chinese woman. Like that, that kind of a thing that came out. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you love who you love. You're not going to sort of compromise that just for the sake yeah. of, you know, parental approval. Um, I know some people mm -hmm. might prioritize that higher than, you know, the relationship. And, you know, you can practice your life the way you see fit. But for me, at least, I don't want to compromise, like, who I am, who I love for that, for that. So what, what kind of advice would you give to someone that is going through that? Um, it's tough because every parental dynamic is different and every family is different. The best advice I can give would be, you know, frame it as a way of saying, this person makes me happy. If you love me, like you will love this other person and the relationship because it makes me happy. Like if you want what's best for me, this is what's best for me. And so support me. So it's like a reframing of the relationship in and of itself. What about you, Wolf? Oh, I'm Filipino, so like most of my family has been welcoming um, of anybody. Although I did date a black girl in high school, and my grandma, like it was a joke, but she was like, you know, oh, she's black, she's gonna steal all of your money. <laughs> no, of course, of course, I corrected her. I was like, <laughs> damn it, girl. you can't, you can't say that. You can't say that. That's wrong. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, besides that, it's, um, it's, it's been smooth. Uh, I mean, the, I, like I said before, I get along with most parents, except for the one Chinese girl that I dated. Her parents hated me, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you live in Lily. <laughs> so how, how significant is it for you to, uh, introduce, uh, your partner to your parents and vice versa? Um, I'm very close to my family, but I'm definitely a very private person. So it's important at some point, but I don't feel like a rush to do it. It's not like um a certain stage of a relationship is held by um the requirement of meeting my parents. You know what I mean? It's just something that will probably happen if I'm with someone long enough and seriously. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's not really much of a big deal hmm. uh i would say for me given that family and my parents in particular are such a major component of my life um it's just easier to sort of merge those spheres in a way at least getting the introductions out of the way so that you know they're aware of each other they sort of know about each other a little bit and that way you have to like dance around the Oh, where'd you go that weekend? Who are you like, who are you hanging out with? Kind of, and so it's not, I'm not like beholden to share that, you know, you no, know, like an adult and stuff like that. But because my parents are that close in my life, like I feel like I would want to share these things with them. 
Um, so it's a, I'm not going to share like a super casual relationships or, or, or partners, yeah. but for anything serious or committed, for sure, I, I would say that's a pretty important piece for me at least. That's pretty interesting, right? Because you two are poly. Now, mm-hmm. have, you, have you brought it up to your parents at all? Or, did, or maybe family members, do they know about this? Uh, for me, definitely not my family. Uh, I've only pretty close friends about that. Uh-huh. Um, they're super supportive, and you know, sort of, you gotta pick your battles, kind of a thing. And so, with my parents, <laughs> at least, they're super traditional. So, I think me floating that probably would not go well, or probably isn't worth the exposure. Particularly if you know, I don't have a non primary partner who is super super close with me and has like a super deep relationship in the same way that i would have, would have a primary partner if that were to happen in the future uh by some chance then sure maybe i'm re- re- maybe revisit that but for the time being at least i feel i see it as introduced primary partner and that's sort of all that i i really need now what what about when you let's say you do have two partners now and you are you're committed are you do you introduce both or, or do you do, do or do you introduce both of them as like separate individuals? That makes sense. Oh, do you mean like do I show up like these are my two girlfriends? <laughs> <laughs> right, because at one yeah. point, right, because at one point Let's it's gonna get my girlfriend. Because <laughs> <laughs> at one point it, it it could seem a little bit fishy or sketchy, right, to where like all of a sudden, oh, my son has two girls he's with all the time, mm. right? So at one point. Where do you draw the line to where essentially you introduce both to your parents? Because essentially you you kind of have to, right? Right, right. Um, I would say again for me because I sort of practice this hierarchical poly, which means you have that primary nesting partner, and not to say that other relationships are lesser, but like. When you have a private partner, in my opinion, it's sort of like a larger commitment to that one person, uh, in a sense. And I've, I've never at least been in a position where I've had two very, very committed partners at the same time. And so it's hard to say now what I would do in that situation because I've never really experienced it. Um, but I guess when the time comes for that, the first conversation would be me privately with my parents. You know, So this is the, this is the lifestyle that I live. Let me explain this. And then depending on how that conversation goes, then introduce the, the other partner. Yeah, I think it's really important that they brought up to where if, if all parties are are committed, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Wolf? Uh, bringing it back, I definitely think that, like, you know, my grandparents and older um, members of my family wouldn't understand, really. Um, so... And it's not that I would hide it from them or anything. I'd love to be honest, but it's just not something I would bring up because it's just a point of confusion and not really worth getting into. Now, with my parents, that's different because I'm obviously, you know, a lot closer with them. Um, you know, I've I've told my parents years ago that that's you know who I am and the kind of lifestyle I live, and they kind of treated it like a face, which is fine, whatever, you know um but they were overall pretty cool about it now imagining that i had two equal partners how i would go about that Mm -hmm. um i think it depends i mean uh 
it depends if it's a a v type poly relationship or a polycule like connected one um so hold up right there so for those people that don't know what those are can you just explain briefly what those sure sure so a, a v is like a v you have one point here and two points here only these points are connected right so if it was just me dating two girls separately but they're not dating each other this would be a v relationship right they may interact or be friends with each other but ultimately they have no romantic ties with each other versus a polycule is um well yeah everyone's dating each other <laughs> it, it works like a, a, a triangle like it, it go it all you know moves about um if it was a proper polycule like a proper one and you know whatever um I I I I would bring home the polycule probably, um, just probably to get all the awkwardness out of the way and just be like, this is it. I don't want to <laughs> waste months like, you know, um, going around the bush about it. Um, but if it was a V, that seems so unnecessary because <laughs> it is. They are separate relationships, so um, I would just introduce them when it felt right. I guess separately. Yeah, and that makes sense as far as yeah. like getting, like getting your parents and talking privately. I think that's that's mm-hmm. the biggest issue here. Mm-hmm. That's the most important mm-hmm. people too that you really just need yeah. to discuss about, right? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with introducing Polly with a partner? Uh, for my part, at least, I've never been in a situation where it's. I'm with a monogamous person or a traditionally monogamous person and then introduce them to non-monogamy. It's more so that out of the gate, I made it clear that, hey, I'm looking for poly or open relationships. And then they were also already experienced with that or curious about it. So um, that makes it way easier <laughs> than trying to have that conversation after the fact. Uh, I also find that, you know, I still use dating apps sometimes. So putting that in your profile is like super important because it saves everybody time. So if somebody's not down for that, they know right away. You know, waste each other's time, and then for those who are who are cool with it, then you can you can go from there. Yeah, don't beat around the bush, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely very important to be straightforward. Um, I had one long-term relationship where we started as monogamous, and then through you know, growing up and self-discovery, I realized that you know it's not exactly the ideal situation for me, so. We tried to adapt the relationship to a poly relationship, and that went horrendously, definitely. Um, and that's because, you know, like Knight said, you know, you, you, you really should make it abundantly clear that um, this is who you are, this is what you want. And so the other person can either say nah, or they can sign up for it. And then they have, you know, they can deal with it or however they deal with it or they're on the same page um and you know you might say it's unfair but like you know we loved each other so we we tried to make it work um but she didn't sign up for a poly relationship and ultimately you know she wasn't prepared for the jealousy i wasn't prepared for it it was it was my first poly relationship so that kind of blew up in my face um and now um yeah i i I do try to 
make it very clear that I am Polly and that you know if that's an issue then well that's a, <laughs> that's an issue um but yeah I think uh, the partner I'm saying now hasn't or wasn't um Polly before this is her first time um, experiencing it but she she signed up for it like I said, right? She knew from the beginning that that that's that's who I am, and that's um, something that she has to either roll with, or I'm not the right person for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest issue you'll find in Polly is jealousy. You know, so just like a long distance relationship or any type of relationship, um, you have to exercise patience like it's a superpower of sorts <laughs> like super patience and you know you'd have to be there for someone uh through the jealousy and yeah it can be complex but at the end of the day it's it's a very simple you know you just be straightforward honest and you be there for the person you care about and it's probably gonna work out if not it probably wasn't meant to be so mm-hmm. I think that's another similarity between traditional relationships, monogamous relationships, and you know, poly relationships is open, honest communication is like the critical piece of any type of relationship, right? Any relationship, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So even in monogamous relationships, jealousy is still a factor. It might be expressed mm-hmm. and, in, and experienced in different ways than a poly relationship, but it's still there sometimes. Yeah. So it, so long as you and your partner are able to openly communicate that with each other um, in like a safe space and understand where the other is coming from, that will get you through the toughest parts, I would say. And I think sort of going back to the question about, oh, when you put the label of like dating on or something like that, I think when you're ready to sort of go through the tough spots and work through that, that's the sign of a committed relationship. Whereas, you know, something more casual, you might just say, oh, this is a tough spot. I'm out. See ya. Kind of. Yeah. You know? Oh, hundred percent. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a question that you constantly find annoying that white females always ask you. <laughs> Anything related to K-pop? I, I find that uh, <laughs> a, a, a lot of people, not just white girls or white people in general, but a lot of people assume that I'm into K-pop and uh, I'm not. I enjoy K-pop. I think there's a lot of talented people in that arena, but it's not my thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually find myself asking that question to someone else. <laughs> like if if a woman is like into dating asian guys or even prefers dating asian guys there's a high likelihood that she is also into k-pop then at least that's been my experience um but i don't really find that question annoying per se it does happen uh i've gotten questions in the past of like oh what what kind of asian are you i, I wouldn't find that annoying because you know it's a curiosity i'm happy to answer that and sort of share a bit more and um, our culture and stuff like that. What where it becomes a problem though is how it is asked. So it's like, oh, what is your ethnic background, or what is your heritage, or what kind of Asian? That's all fine for me. For me at least, it gets to a problem when somebody says, "Where are you from?" And you say, "Oh, so and so." I don't know, but where are you from? Like, where are you really from? Like that. That gets into annoying territory for sure. Yeah, I yeah, hundred percent. Especially if you're born from, you know. America, like, oh no, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
and, and then, you know, sometimes if they get the hit that you're like born here, they, they go back a generation or where are your parents from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then for people who are like multi-generational Americans, like that's just going to keep going down the line. Right. So <laughs> somebody gets tired. And then, and then the next question is, oh, do you speak your, the language, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's always funny. So, uh, so, well, speaking of K-pop, right. So with K-pop, you know, K-pop ha- has always been a thing, right? But you know, with all like the the boy bands, right? Because uh, essentially, like BTS wasn't the, ma- in my opinion, wasn't like the main reason as why like K-pop was like huge. Uh, I personally think like Psy also brought up a big point in it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, what does what does K-pop bring to Asian males? Um, well, l- like you said, I think. Definitely, uh, Psy exploded that whole movement and the popularity. Um, but I think K-pop brings just a, definitely a lot of recognition to Asian culture and specifically to Asian males being, you know, an object of desire, right? Um, and yeah, I think K-pop in general has had a positive effect uh, for me. And from what I've seen, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It's just about sort of fighting back those previous decades or centuries of you know Asian males being uh, made you know non-masculine or undesirable in, in older media, and like hip is helping to move the culture in the opposite direction. So they are desirable again, or we are desirable again. And I think another part of that too is sort of um bring to the forefront that not every man is going to express masculinity in the same way so like the way that k-pop stars or idols or whatever are desirable is not going to be the same way that you know the the quote-unquote traditional western male is desirable right so um k-pop stars and then you have like chris hemsworth types (laughs) in, in in western culture like thor and stuff like that as well um and so I think just sort of opening up, uh, like the acceptance of oh, they are also men, they are also desirable, just not in this way that the West has traditionally uh, deemed desirable. Do you think like certain, you know, Asian ethnicities have it more difficult to date than Koreans? I think in the past I thought that if you're not of the East Asian ethnicity, so like Korean, Japanese, Chinese like it it would be more difficult because a lot of times when people think asian they their mind does jump to those particular groups so if you're outside of that my perception at least and not not being <laughs> from one of those groups uh is that you know it was a bit more difficult but I, I could be wrong on that yeah i mean i mean first and foremost i'm american right <laughs> <laughs> but after that i really identify as being more pacific islander because i'm filipino and there definitely is some distinction there uh definitely a lot of the k-pop fan girls are into that kind of look you know um and um i don't necessarily think it's harder for other ethnicity asian ethnicities um in that realm but i do think it is it is different because there's just different expectations you know um and 
I mean, I've I've encountered some girls that have like straight up said like, "Oh no, I just I want a Korean or Japanese one." I'm like, all right, that's fine. You know, <laughs> go get it. Right. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think the the one Asian race that has it the most bad is uh, Indians across the board because mm. I think everyone's a little bit confused as to whether they're Asian or not, even though they technically are, but yeah, <laughs> people don't consider are. them Asian, you know? Um, yeah. It is kind of funny, because, yes, whenever I talk to people, usually it's like, oh, you know, there's Asian and then Indian. <laughs> You're like... Right. <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, why is there negative stigma surrounding you not being Korean because kind of what night night brought because I have seen this to where if you weren't of that ethnicity right uh, a lot of guys feel that they don't have a chance you know mm-hmm. like why is that I think it's just due to uh media like what we've been talking to before it's media and exposure um, for the most part you're seeing k-pop boy bands um and you know i i I won't deny that they they look good you know there's there's a reason why so many people are attracted to them um but because that's what they're exposed to that's what people grow to like um you know you can't like i don't know chocolate if you've never tasted or seen chocolate in your life how can you like or be into something that you don't know exists right and while a lot of asian cultures are very similar the type of builds and stuff um, there is a lot of distinction and differences there. So, you know, like for me, I I get dark as hell. I, I, I'm i a brown man. I get really dark, <laughs> right? And that's not that's not something that you associate with a K-pop uh, boy idol, you know, because they're very they're very pale and they've got that whole look, which is which is cool. But it's just different expectations because of media and exposure, ultimately. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think to add on to that too, like if someone says, I will only date Korean men or I will only date East Asian men, that is not someone you want to be dating in the first place, right? Because yeah. they ultimately <laughs> fetishize that yeah. group, right? And so uh, if you're uh, trying to talk uh, to someone, it's like, oh, do they like me for me or just because I belong to this other group? You know, in my, in my eyes, that is as racist as choosing to not date a specific group, like wholesale. I mean, it, it literally is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah. It literally is. It's, it's, it's a different side of the same coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it is. Topic that I like to talk about is uh, a negative outlook uh, regarding Asian males and online dating. Uh, what are your like point of views? Well, I I think again, it just all ties back to uh, expectations, uh, exposure, media. You know what people see. Um, I have been like decently successful on dating apps. I'm definitely a lot more successful in person or in other forums. Um, I know that you know there's that what that study saying that uh, black women and Asian men are like at the bottom tier, <laughs> and I think that just goes to show how much um, prejudice. And conditioning is built into our, our society. You know, uh, a lot of people think that uh, black women are too aggressive to be 
properly feminine and that a lot of Asian men are too passive to be properly masculine, you know, even though that those definitions are on a sliding scale. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Ultimately, I just kind of avoid dating apps except for just fun boredom time. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have, I've used dating apps in the past and it, it's a numbers game, unfortunately. You just have to just sort of keep going through until you find someone who, you know, sort of clicks with you and is of the type who is like open to dating Asian guys in general. Like Wolf was saying, because of it just is the state of the online dating scene where Asian guys and black women are often overlooked. And so it is harder for Asian guys on dating apps. So you have to put a lot more effort into your profile, your pictures, all of these other things in order to even get your foot in the door for a match and then start talking from there because like that's the start that's like that's like getting to the battlefield right like <laughs> to be able to even get started on that whole the whole dating thing because if you don't get a match then you're sort of that's it you don't get a chance so i know that there's like dating apps strictly for like just asian males right you think that's like do you think it's like taking it too far or are you okay <laughs> with like getting on those apps there are <laughs> yeah, this is news to me. Although I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I didn't have to no, what's up, man? You should have told us this before. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are apps uh, strictly for Asian dudes. I, I I don't know. Whatever boats people's boats. I mean, there's like Christian mingle and like whatever. So mm-hmm. I I don't think much of it. It's just another thing, I guess. I'm curious, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't view that as like a positive or a negative. Um, but I would give it a shot, maybe see see what it's like because I have no experience with that. So I don't know what what type of demographic is on there, either on the male end or the female end. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, to be continued, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> uh, speaking about um, Asian males being seen as more passive, right? Um, I think oftentimes too, people have that stereotype of even. Kink-wise, people tend to think or, or believe, oh, Asian males are just going to be submissive all the time. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I've ever actually encountered someone with that perspective or assumption that Asian males are submissive or anything. Um, for me, at least, when I've written up a dating profiles in the past, like, I don't know, year or two or whatever... I just put it right out there that I am into kink as well. Because that, like the poly thing, it's good to be upfront about things. And then you sort of catch the attention of people who are more open or curious about those types of things. So again, it's it's that it's cliche and we've repeated it a lot, but just be your authentic self, be your best self, put it out there and you'll attract the type of people who are into you for you and into the things that you're into. Um, and yeah, but for the submissive part specifically, uh, I can't really comment on that just because I've never really experienced that. I, I think anecdotal evidence um, from people I talk to is that that's pretty prevalent in the gay community actually um, but again can't we comment on that one <laughs> yeah uh, I mean as, as someone in SoCal I can I can attest to that whenever a gay guy hits on me he assumes I'm a bottom <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I've seen that but overall in my dating experience um not so much. 
I don't know. I don't. I don't think I've experienced that a lot. Maybe it's just uh, my own perspective because of the type of vibes I radiate or whatever. But yeah, I don't. I don't think I've really experienced that. Well, to make a quick correction, um, you know, to be king positive and all that, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with being submissive and an Asian guy. All right, <laughs> just put that out there. It, it, it's the assumption that's the problem, and yeah, again, uh, not really. <laughs> Is is location of where you live always, you know, gonna determine whether or not you get a date? Granted, I've only lived in a handful of areas, and the handful of areas that I lived in are relatively diverse, so I can only speak to that experience. Um, That's fine. But I feel like when there's more of a group around, it's a bit more normalized, and you might have a better chance. Also, just speaking from pure, just like population if you live in a dense more densely populated area you will have more options because there are literally just more people on you know available to, to connect with whether it's on apps or in person or anything like that so you just have more chances uh, i would say yeah uh i think for for me having lived in more of a suburban uh place with mostly uh, white people and urban areas with a uh, good mix um there are pros and cons i think definitely the smaller the town is probably at, at this point you know in the united states it's probably going to be harder for an asian guy to find a date um but in your average size city i at least for me i've seen that it can work as a big pro because you're kind of exotic and different especially if you carry yourself well and you're not um your stereotypical like bookish nerdy asian uh <laughs> but and then on the other hand if you live in a larger city with a better mixture of people you'll just find that it's more of a non-factor that your race doesn't matter because well you know it's diverse you know so it just doesn't matter yeah no i i agree now when when you're talking to your partner when when do you talk to your partner about kink? How do you approach it? Uh, for me, at least, again, like when it comes to dating profiles, at least, like I just put it out there right from the beginning, so they're aware of that. Um, sometimes they lead with, "Oh, what kinks are you into?" Right out of the game. Like, all right, well, that. <laughs> and start talking about. Uh, You're like, damn. Times, all right. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, other times, it's just you have a normal conversation. There to be a little bit of flirting going on. And then I think that's part of what Wolf was saying before about just gaining social experience and know, all right, the, the flirting is going well. Let's like take it up a notch and start talking about these things more openly. Um, and that's, that's, again, sort of why I feel like I personally at least have ended up going on dates with more Caucasian women than, than non, just because they are more open to these types of conversations in general. And it's just easier that way. Um, so it's a combination of being upfront to begin with and then having that social experience to know when the flirting can sort of escalate into some more open discussions about, about kink and sexuality. Yeah. yeah. I, I think for me, it depends with, uh, with online. I'm more likely to disclose that, you know, I'm like, like I'm poly, I'm, I'm, uh, kinky. And, you know, there's a very, um, very attuned to like BDSM lifestyle. Um, but if it's more of an in-person thing and we haven't established that type of stuff, of course it matters if we have good uh, physical chemistry, but 
how I would introduce or say that is well through action, right? Because a, a a kiss can turn into a light lip bite, and you just slowly figure it out. Does she pull away? Is she you know like not so into anything aggressive or whatever? Then you you take note of that, and uh, worse comes to worse. <laughs> Uh, like Knight was saying, you either ask questions or you just verbatim say, hey, do you like this? I like this. You know, it doesn't it doesn't matter as long as you're communicating well and paying attention. Yeah, paying attention is, is really crucial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for people that are like maybe nervous about joining an online community, what kind of like suggestions or advice you would give to someone that's maybe on the fence about it? Again, I think the important part there is just like, it's a community. So don't go into it with the mindset that, oh, this is a dating platform specifically. I'm going to find a partner kind of a thing. Just go out there, uh, you know, in Rising Moon specifically, there are channels dedicated to a bunch of stuff, right? You know, animals and pets, fashion, art, you know, books, movies, whatever. There's always conversation going on about any particular topic. So again, just find the topics that you're into, engage with other people in like a friendly way. And then people will pick up on, you know, how you interact and what your hobbies and interests are. And, and then you can connect with people that way. And then if something naturally develops between you and someone else, then that's great. Because, you know, like we were saying before about socializing, you know, in real life, you have to go to some event or some venue to do that, right? Whereas at least with these online communities, the barrier to entry is so, so low, right? It's so easy to just hop on and just like chat on and off here and there. So it's even less anxiety inducing than doing that i would say so if you're if you're nervous don't be nervous because it's probably like the least um anxiety inducing or, or uh, platform to to sort of meet people yeah because yeah. you can do it on your computer on a laptop mm-hmm. your, your phone mm-hmm. you got no excuses yeah oh for sure i think the night nailed it um i would just say you know just do the nike thing just, just do it um, at worst, the worst case scenario, right? Like, like barely doing anything is you join, you maybe say hi once or twice, and you lurk for a couple of days and see how it is. If you don't like it, it's it's the internet. You just leave. <laughs> you get up and go about the rest of your day. Um, whereas if if you're feeling more nervous, you know, just lurk for a little bit, see what kind of conversations are happening, and like you know, uh, like Knight was saying, we have like. So much going on about different topics like i guarantee anyone will have something to say about something and you just jump yeah. in and start from there and get to know people that's it you know yeah just hop on in <laughs> just say hello just, just do it <laughs> just do it <laughs> hashtag not sponsored okay but <laughs> <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet right like so if you talk about poly and like getting into like like marriage is marriage a thing in poly poly relationships? It definitely can be. Like there are different flavors of non monogamy and poly. So it's just about what you and your partner or partners um, feel is right for you. Some people don't believe in marriage and they don't want to get married. That that's fine. Other people do. Some people have like a flat hierarchy, which is like all partners are equal. Um, others practice hierarchical poly, which is like oh, I have my primary partner potentially my spouse, and then other partners um, besides that. And then, like Wolf was saying, there are different shapes involved. <laughs> you could have these, you could have polycules, 
different shapes uh, squares, and colors. whatever you know <laughs> um different shapes and so, colors yeah, whatever geometry floats your boat <laughs> well personally i'm not big into the institution of uh marriage i think it's antiquated um but generally speaking i think you know that's right it's just whatever you feel comfortable with um well, first of all, I'm not sure it's legal to be married to multiple people entirely in certain states or federally. I don't know the laws on that because uh, that's called polygamy. Um, There's a difference there. Um, but yeah, for me personally, it's not really important. If a partner of mine, you know, she always dreamed about getting married and she wants to get married then of course you know i i, I wouldn't mind that you know to, to make someone happy uh, but it, it does nothing for me at least it's just you know what if you end up having kids with one of them how does that work in that dynamic and does it change the relationship at all uh i mean yeah that definitely complicates things uh, again speaking for myself i don't have any intention of having kids okay um and you know, I, I've thought about it pretty thoroughly. If I wanted, I'd adopt for personal reasons. Um, so yeah, that's not really an issue. But but just just to entertain like entertain that idea, I think uh, polyamory and raising kids can be a very beautiful thing because uh, with multiple partners, you kind of become like a little tribe, you know. Um, and if it's even if it's like a VN separate, you know, obviously everyone cares enough about each other to take care of each other. So from the child's per perspective, yes, it may be confusing when compared to the mainstream. However, the amount of love, care, nourishment and attention a child gets from a situation with multiple partners assuming you know the multiple partners are stable <laughs> and not <laughs> you know at the edge of whatever um i can only see pluses and benefits from it honestly uh yeah i'd agree with that completely um i mean we just like not talking about kids just talking about you know just having poly triads or more realistically that's like another income stream another set of hands to help with like household things so it really is like like wolf is saying a tribe so things just get easier uh you know, from a logistics perspective, when you have like another working adult in the mix, I would say for in a sure. way, <laughs> in a way, in a way, yeah. in a way. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff that that you have to pour your time and energy and attention into, but yeah, you know, that 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 can help for sure. And then with the kids thing, uh, I would say there's a lot of like unfortunately legal benefits to getting married, um, mm. even without kids, and then particularly with kids as well. Uh, I don't know all of the exact things, but I know tax implications, you know, power of attorney, you know, custody, all these other things yeah. are, are are in the mix because, you know, our society is built around the traditional monogamous um, two-person, two-adult household kind of a thing, right? Uh, <laughs> maybe that'll change in the future, but for now, at least, that's sort of the system we have to deal with. This is like totally just a random topic. What do you think is the weirdest kink 